So, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his, re- his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? 
Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Have you ever felt weary or discouraged or felt too far gone for God to help you? Uh, perhaps discouraged by your own sin uh, and, and the shame that comes with it, or perhaps the sin of others and the pain that it's caused in your life. Perhaps it's grief over loss or unanswered prayer, and, and you've wondered whether you've been disregarded by God and left on your own. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. If you have, uh, you're certainly not alone. It's a feeling that, that many of, of us have had, both today but also uh, many people over centuries throughout uh, history of God's people have experienced that feeling. Today we're kicking off a sermon series in the second half of the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah 40 to 66. And, and this is a part of the Bible that speaks to God's people when they were weary and discouraged and feeling disregarded and abandoned by God, where they were feeling too far gone for God to help or save them. And as we look at this um, series as a whole, but also this uh, particular passage, Isaiah 40, as we look at what God says to them in their darkest hour, we're going to see that it has profound implications for us today as well. So if you've got a Bible there, please do have it open to Isaiah 40. Um, I'll have the key verses up on screen, but even if better if you've got a physical copy in front of you, because it'll enable you to see the verses in context. So have a look in your Bibles with me how the chapter opens. Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 to 2. It says this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, before we can understand what the Bible means for us, uh, we've first got to understand what it means for its original readers. So at this point, it's critical to ask. It's saying comfort, comfort, but why did God's people need comforting? Why was that even relevant for them? Uh, what does it mean that Jerusalem's hard service had been completed? What is this dark hour into which God whispered words of comfort? Well, answering that question will not only help us understand this passage, uh, but also help us set up our whole series in Isaiah 40 to 66 that we'll be looking at over the next nine weeks. So let's ask that question, why does Jerusalem need to be comforted? 
Uh, Well, at one level, the answer is fairly straightforward, and it's found in the verses immediately before what we just had read today. It's found in Isaiah 39. So if you've got a Bible open, scan your eye to Isaiah 39 and verse 1, where you'll see it says that the king of Babylon, this great ancient empire, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah, who's king in Jerusalem over God's people. Now in verse 2, Hezekiah is pretty chuffed with these visitors from Babylon and puffed up with pride. He took them to his storehouses and his treasury for a bit of a humble brag, showing off all his stuff. And the Babylonians, well, they quite liked all of his, his stuff. They said, oh, thanks for showing this to us. And they took news back to Babylon saying, note to self, if you're ever looking for a small, weak kingdom to invade and steal from, Hezekiah in Jerusalem is a good place to start. And sure enough, God sends the prophet Isaiah with a message to Hezekiah. Have a look in your Bibles with me where we see this in verse 5 of chapter 39. Uh, Verse 5 says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, Hezekiah, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, that's pretty bad news. He's saying in the future, it's not going to happen now, the time will surely come in the future, where the Babylonians are going to come and carry God's people off into exile. They'll become eunuchs, which means castrated servants. It's not the kind of thing that you want to have happen to you, to the wicked king of Babylon. It's horrible news. So how does Hezekiah respond? Does he repent in sackcloth and ashes? Does he repent of his pride and seek forgiveness? Does he ask the Lord to spare his people from these foreign invaders? Well, no, look at his response in verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, well, there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. What a total dog move. How selfish. He doesn't even care what other people will face Because Isaiah said the exile to Babylon would happen to who? The time will surely come. It's going to happen to a future generation, to his descendants. So this is pretty depressing, but it's critical to understand because it sets up the two parts of the book of Isaiah. Uh, So here's a timeline uh, running from about 700 BC, that's 700 years before Jesus, through to the time of Jesus around 1 AD. Now, the envoy from Babylon that we read about in Isaiah 39 happened around 700 BC, give or take. And chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah, that first big half of the book that we looked at last year, is all addressed to God's people during Isaiah's lifetime. It's at the time that Isaiah was living, and he's speaking God's word to God's people at the time when he lived. But here's where things get a little funky. Because Isaiah 40 to 66 is not addressed to God's people in Isaiah's lifetime. They're addressed to people living about 150 years in the future, exiled in Babylon. Uh, How do we know that? Well, remember in Isaiah 39, God told Hezekiah that the Israelites would be carried off into exile in the future. Uh, And that prediction was 100% correct. As we now know from history, the Babylonians, about 120, 130 years later, rolled in 
and destroyed Jerusalem in 587 BC. And for the next 50 plus years, Israelites were in exile before they were finally allowed to return in 539 BC. And as we read Isaiah 40 to 66, it becomes clear that it's addressed to God's people during that time of exile in Babylon. Remember how Isaiah chapter 40 opens? Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1, what does it say? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. If the end of Isaiah 39 is foreshadowing this future exile, Isaiah 40 to 66 is God giving Isaiah a message to write down, to have ready for the people when they're in exile in the future. So why does Jerusalem need to be comforted? What is this dark hour into which God whispered words of comfort? Well, they need to be comforted because they're in exile in Babylon just as God had foretold in Isaiah 39, verses 5 to 8. And so not only uh, the words of Isaiah 40, uh, but indeed all of Isaiah 40 to 66 are written to God's people in exile 150 years in the future. Now, of course, all this raises a pretty big question. Why would God get Isaiah to write down all these things for a future generation that hadn't even yet been born? Why would God get Isaiah to record these things 150 years ahead of time instead of just sending another prophet later when the time came? Well, that's actually a really important question, but it's not one that we're going to take the time to properly answer now. Instead, it's something we're going to dig into at Hub Launch in just over a week. As Sienna mentioned, Hub Groups, where we gather in homes to look at the Bible together, and this semester we're looking at Isaiah. Uh, But on March 1st, instead of meeting in homes, we're going to be meeting here, on a Wednesday night, to do an overview of Isaiah and to dig deep into it together. A much deeper dive than what we can do on a Sunday night. Um, And so that's what we're going to look into. How do these two parts of Isaiah fit together? And why did God give this message to Isaiah for this future generation? So we'd love to see you there on Wednesday night next week. But for now, let's keep pressing into Isaiah 40. Because we've seen why Jerusalem needs to be comforted. Uh, Her people are in exile in Babylon. But that leads to an obvious question. What is that message of comfort? What's the content of that message? What truths does God want Isaiah to write down for this future generation to comfort them in the midst of their exile? Well, there are three key truths in Isaiah 40 that understood together will bring them comfort. And the first truth is that God is coming. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 3 of Isaiah 40. It says this. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's the message? Prepare the way for the Lord. Picture this vast desert landscape with hills and valleys, and there's just an army of high-vis and hard hats and excavators out there, and they are flattening it and bringing a highway through it to get ready because God is coming. 
to save his people and display his glory. And you see that idea picked up down in verse 9. Have a look in your Bibles with me. We see this in verse 9. He says, you who bring good news to Zion. That's another name. That's the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes. What's the good news? What's this message of comfort? Here is your God. He's here. He's arriving. See, he's coming. God won't leave you on your own. He's coming to save you. So that's the first key truth that Israel needed to hear in exile, that God is coming. And the second truth is that God is powerful. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 10. Let's continue the rest of that verse. It says, see the sovereign Lord comes, but but with what? See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So here you see that God's power and and ruling with a mighty arm is is being talked about and emphasized, but why is it comforting to know that God is powerful? Well, uh, imagine for a moment what it would be like for the Israelites languishing in exile in Babylon. They're weak. They're powerless against those who are oppressing them. To those Israelites, the Babylonians seemed unstoppable. The Babylonians were the reigning world superpower. And so God's people felt hopeless that anyone would be powerful enough to defeat their oppressors and rescue them. You know, if you're Ukraine and you're suffering, at least there's some other world powers who maybe are powerful enough to help you out against the people who are invading you. But if you were Israel, there was no such hope. Babylon was as powerful as it gets. It's kind of like if you were a Jew in a Nazi concentration camp and you heard the news, the Americans are coming. Well, that's good news. But only if the Americans proved powerful enough to defeat their oppressors and rescue them, right? And in the same way for the Jews in exile in Babylon, it's good news that God is coming, but only because he's powerful, powerful enough to defeat their enemies, their oppressors, and rescue them. And uh, we don't have time to go through it in detail now, but most of Isaiah 40 is then spent unpacking and reinforcing that idea of God's power. It's stated in verse 10, but then unpacked in verses 12 to 26. Scan your eyes over it. Verse 12, who has measured out the waters in the hollows of his hand? Picture God holding the Pacific Ocean. Verse 18, to whom will you compare God, the maker of heaven and earth? Verse 15, before him, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're like nothing. Even the the mighty Babylon is a mere mosquito that God can crush in a moment. God is powerful. But the final key truth that brings comfort to Israel is not just that God is powerful, but also, and perhaps surprisingly, that he's gentle. Have a look in your Bibles with me from verse 10 again, but notice the shift that happens into verse 11. So verse 10 says, I see the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. But then verse 11, 
He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. In verse 10, God is ruling with a mighty arm. But in verse 11, those same arms are gentle and careful, gathering lambs in his arms and carrying them close to his heart. If in verse 10 God's power is on display, then verse 11 is showing us his gentleness. And you know, in our world, power and gentleness are not that often seen together. If you want power, uh, you might think of a tank or an army or a high Mars missile. Powerful, yes, but gentle, no, of course not. Or if you want gentleness, you might think of a a mother with her young child. Gentle, yes, but powerful in the face of a great army? Well, no. And yet God is both powerful and gentle. And let's be clear, he's not not like a halfway point between power and gentleness, like 50% of both. He's not a compromise between the two, but both at the top of their energy. Power and gentleness at 100%. God is more powerful than the mightiest nation with a nuclear armada. But at the same time, he's more gentle and caring than a young mother with her newborn baby boy. And that is good news for Israel. What a comfort that would be for them to hear. God is powerful enough to save them, but also gentle enough to care for them at their weakest and most vulnerable and weary moments. Why does Isaiah 40 comfort Israel? Because it promises that God is coming in power and gentleness to save his people. He's coming in power and gentleness to save his people. And in one sense, that promise was fulfilled in 539 BC when God overthrew that that mighty Babylonian empire, the world's superpower at the time, by these young upstarts, the Persians, under Cyrus, king of Persia. People were shocked to see Babylon overthrown so quickly. And as we'll see more in coming weeks as we come towards Isaiah 45, God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he allowed the people of Israel to return home and they rebuilt Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. God had comforted his people. He'd come to save them. At one level, that promise had been fulfilled. But on another level, they were still waiting. Because even though they were back in Jerusalem in their own land, They were still living under foreign rulers. They were living under the power of the Persians from 539 BC. Then they were living under the Greeks from from 333 BC when Alexander the Great swept through and defeated the Persians. Wonderful. Our oppressors being defeated and replaced by a new and more powerful one. And then under the Romans from 67 BC, when the Romans defeated the Greeks, but once again, the Romans just had their boot on the neck of the Jewish people. And all the way to the first century AD, God's people were still living under one foreign ruler after another. They were still waiting for God to comfort his people, for him to come in power and gentleness and save them. 
And so even when we come to around the year 1 AD, give or take, look what we see here recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, that word consolation could just as well be translated the comforting of Israel. It's the exact same word that is used in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people. Luke, Simeon, all these people were still waiting for God's comfort. They were still living under foreign rulers, waiting for God to come in power and gentleness to save them. But now the time of waiting was over. Luke 2 continues in verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that means to the foreign nations, and the glory of your people Israel. In the birth of Jesus, God fulfilled the promise he made through Isaiah 700 years earlier. In the birth of Jesus, God had come in power and gentleness to save his people. And keep in mind, these events in Luke 2 happened when Jesus was just eight days old. I don't know how familiar you are with what babies are like at eight days old. Our latest uni church baby, Lawson, isn't much older than that. And if you've ever seen an eight-day-old baby, they are super cute. But they are also tiny, weak, and helpless. That's what Jesus would have looked like when the events of Luke 2 took place. And yet Simeon could look at that tiny, helpless baby and say in verse 30, Sovereign Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes. And during Jesus' life, God's power and gentleness were on full display. Jesus had power to heal the sick, to drive out demons, to still a storm with a single word. His power was unmatched. And yet so was his gentleness. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. He invites the weary, the discouraged, and the worst of sinners. And he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. 
In Jesus, the gentleness of God was on full display. God's compassion in his heart for the broken and the lost. So Jesus displays both God's gentleness and also his power. In Jesus, God's power was shown when he not only died for our sins on the cross, but three days later rose again and conquered sin and death and Satan. Jesus showed that he's more powerful than all of those. And that is really good news. When Israel was in exile in Babylon, God comforted them with the the knowledge that he's coming in power and gentleness to save his people. And all three of those truths are most fully displayed in Jesus. Friends, that is not just a comfort for Israel, but a comfort for us too. Israel was in exile and weary and discouraged and wondering if they were too far gone for God to save them. In Isaiah 40, 27, it says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? They felt abandoned. But look at how the very next verses comfort them. From verse 28 of Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I don't know if you noticed, but that word weary comes up four times in four verses. And it's the exact same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 11 when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So have you ever felt weary or discouraged or felt too far gone for God to help you? Perhaps discouraged by your own sin and the shame that comes with it? Or perhaps the sin of others that has caused pain in your life? Perhaps it's grief over unanswered prayer or or loss, and you've wondered if you've been disregarded by God and left on your own. Well, if that's you, hear these words. Hear Jesus speaking these words to you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, Jesus doesn't promise that our lives will be easy. But he does promise that if we come to him, if we come under his yoke side by side with him, he will bear that burden with us and we will find rest in him even in the midst of life's challenges. So come to him. Jesus is inviting you. For some of us here tonight, perhaps you've never come to Jesus to find rest in him. Jesus isn't talking about being raised in a Christian home or believing in God or or, or ticking the Christian box on the census. He's talking about actually coming to him, leaning on him, finding your rest in him, throwing your lot in with him. Maybe you've never done that. And if that's you, Jesus is inviting you to come to him now for the first time. 
Or for others, others of us here tonight, maybe you are a Christian and you've been following Jesus for years. Yet still, when you feel weary and ashamed and guilty, you feel like you have to bear that burden on your own. If that's you, Jesus is inviting you to come to him, to bring your burdens and your weariness, and to actually bring it to him, to, to say, Jesus, I'm struggling. I can't do this on my own. To sit with him in prayer and share your heart with him, to, to bring him your burdens, to, to come to him and to keep coming to him. I mean, it sounds so simple, but even for myself, there have been times recently when I've been feeling weary and burdened and stressed. And instead of bringing that to Jesus, I've just carried it myself. And sitting in Isaiah 40 to prepare this sermon over the past couple of weeks and looking at Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, it's been such a good reminder for me that I don't have to carry that for myself. It's reminded me to actually take Jesus up on his offer, sometimes multiple times a day, to actually come to him in prayer and say, Lord, you know I'm feeling the weight of this. Help me not to carry this on my own. Help me to experience your rest. And let me tell you when I've done that, it's been a game changer. To know the peace and rest that we can experience in Christ, even in the midst of those struggles, it's profound. If we only take him up on that invitation to come. Isaiah 40 promises that God is coming with power and gentleness to save his people. And in Jesus, that's exactly what he's done. That is amazing news for weary sinners. So come to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are the Lord of history and the God of power and might. Thank you for these magnificent promises in Isaiah that both comforted Israel in their darkest hour, but also pointed forward hundreds of years to the coming of Christ and give great comfort to us too. Thank you that in Jesus, your glory has been revealed. Thank you that you have come in power and gentleness to save your people in Jesus' first coming. And you're going to come and do it again when he returns to bring an end to this age and bring on the glorious new creation. Father, as we live in this fallen world waiting for Jesus' second coming, we confess that we often find ourselves weary and discouraged. In those moments, help us to not draw away from you, but to draw near to you in Christ, to come to him, to bring our burdens to him and to find rest in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.